Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. How do you, Eliza, use your difference to make a difference? I hope I inspire women to believe they have the right to claim space. I think if you, you know, I have all these tools in my book, but they're useless if you don't think you have the right to use them. And a lot of women get the message they have to be small. Every human being has the right to claim space and you need to believe you have that right. And if you do, everything else is just learning. How you day, how you day. That was the voice of Eliza. Eliza and I got to discuss in different ways to find your voice, different ways to create space, claim space, and be affirmed in your space. She's got an amazing story about how she found her voice and she's really great at advocating for people who are marginalized as well. And I always think it's important for listeners and audiences to be able to understand how to use privilege and understand the power that comes from privilege and use that. So we got to talk about several things. We talked about the concept of lazy girl jobs. We talked about different ways women can be empowered. We talked about her enduring traumatic kidnappings as a kid. And we talked about how she turned that story into who she is now. If you're looking to be inspired, this is one of those episodes. Make sure to get a book and connect with her. All those pieces of information are in the show notes. Without further ado, enjoy the episode. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and today's episode is with Eliza Van Court. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Eliza. After enduring a traumatic series of kidnappings as a child and then surviving a life-altering bicycle accident as an adult, Eliza has become a number one best-selling author, renowned speaker, top podcaster, sought-after consultant, and all-around badass using her academic expertise <laughs> and, dedicate, and, and dedicates a lot of her time as an acting instructor to transform audiences' lives. We're going to be talking about how she does that exactly, but just so you know, as with every episode, her the links to all the resources are in the show notes, and one of those resources is her number one best-selling book, which is A Woman's Guide to Claiming Space, Standing Tall, Raise Your Voice, and Be Heard. Welcome to the show, Eliza. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm me, me too. 
<laughs> have fun. <laughs> if it's anything like our, our pre-recording, yeah. I think it's going to be fun. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to have a good time. <laughs> well, the first question I have for you, it's something I've heard you talk about on a series of interviews. What does claiming space to you mean? To me, claiming space is simply living the life of your choosing unapologetically and bravely. And mm. bravery to me is not the absence of fear. I don't think there's anything brave about doing something that doesn't scare you. Bravery right. is fear meeting action. Fear meeting action. And in your life, you've had a lot of those moments where fear met action. I, I believe you've had a series of moments where you had to claim your own power. But I want to start off with the uh, kidnappings if we can. Yeah, you, you bring him up a lot. It's in your first line of your bio. What did that series of kidnappings do to you? And how did you come out of that? Well, I mean, I, I want to start by saying that I had a really wonderful mom to start mm -hmm. with. And she had late onset schizophrenia, paranoid schizophrenia, which is actually a little more tragic in some ways because she had an entire life before she got sick that she then lost, including me. Um, so she was a great mom. She, uh, was a poet. She taught English in Harlem. She was a really dedicated educator. And then she became paranoid schizophrenic and my father got custody and she just didn't want to live with that. So she kidnapped me three times. Um, one of the times I went across the country by truck hitchhiking from truck stop to truck stop from New York to California. And, what happened on that trip made me start to really conflate invisibility with safety. I thought if I can be invisible, then I'm safe. But mm -hmm. of course, like being invisible isn't safe. It's it's absolutely dangerous. And as a little girl, you know, little girls are rewarded for being cute and little and quiet. And so if you're starting your life out, striving to be invisible, claiming space is a lifelong struggle. And it was for me, it was not something that came easily. It was a long road. I've heard you say that conflating invisibility with safety. And I was hoping that you were going to say when I asked this question, because it was what you said earlier, right? You know, bravery is still be able to do something, even though you, you might be afraid and scared. And you talked about the condition and a lot of women have across cultures where they're told to be subservient. How yeah. can we create the culture, the counterculture to that? Wow, that's a great question. No <laughs> I want you to solve all the problems and now. No one's actually <laughs> asked me that. And I love that question. Well, I mean, my my real belief is there, there, are, there are two different things. One is I do believe that women need to claim space. I think it's important not to be in victim mode, but to figure out how to claim your own power. I think there are five different ways to do that, which I talk about in my book. And I can go through that if you'd like. Yes, please. Um, Okay. So, so the first one is claim space with your physicality and voice. Don't make your body, don't make your voice small. And I talk about really specific tools to do that in my book. Um, the second one is claim space by building a tribe, building a community around you that is supportive and uplifts you and getting anti-mentors out of your life who would make you small. Don't let those anti-mentors have a bullhorn at the head of your table. Mm -hmm. um, the third one is we all have boulders that fall on us. If you don't have a boulder, you need therapy because you do, you don't know it. <laughs> so, um, we have these big boulders and I think they can crush us or we can sort of whittle them down. And people often say, you know, oh, get over it. You need to move past it. I don't believe that's possible. I don't think we get over anything. <laughs> I think that we get these boulders and we whittle them down to like the size of a pebble and we carry them around with us in our pockets. And when things are hard, we can touch them and say, oh, okay. 
I've lived through something worse. I can get through this or, oh, I know this. I've done this before. I know how to handle it. So we take our past and we don't get rid of it, but we let it inform our future in a way that is positive and helps us to grow. And the fourth one is learning how to protect yourself from aggressors. It would make you small. And the final one is intersectionality. I really believe strongly that if you only advocate for yourself and people who look like you, particularly if you're in a position of power and privilege, that there's no way we can actually dismantle sexism because I think sexism and racism are intricately connected. And I can talk more about my belief as to why that is if you'd like, but to me, women who uplift all women um, are women who claim space. First of all, yes, you can. This podcast is very much so, you know, about intersectionality and creating safe space for people to truly be themselves. The, the points you go through are so poignant because I mean, someone could say, yes, very simple to say, but it's not easy to apply because of what we've learned, right? All these conditionings that we've had and a lot of it, it truly is a counterculture because you have to go against whatever the status quo is. You have to go against what your definition of vulnerability is, what strength is, what it means to show up, what it means to set a boundary, how to love from afar, how to love yourself within, right? All these all these things that you have to like make practice and then unlearn. And I know one thing you said, the letting go thing, I was fascinated by that because I'm a notoriously petty person. I'm working on it in therapy, <laughs> <laughs> I, but I, I, but it's not even in the bad. I just, you know, I remember something someone said to me in seventh grade or no, you know, and if someone likes something on Facebook, I'm like, didn't you tell me I was like some scrawny, but it's just some random things like that. And I also. I'm Italian. Could... I'm half Italian. I feel you. I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> but but you, you, my, my therapist always said it's good and bad because it can be a chip on the shoulder, but then there are moments where it can cripple you if you don't want to do that. But you say you can, you don't have to forget it, but whittle it down to a pebble and let it inform you. That is such a fascinating approach. Yeah. I, I don't think that, I think people are so focused on getting past things, going, you know, moving on, all of those things. And I just think that's ludicrous. I mean, are you going to, you know, I had someone the other day say, you know, my mom died two years ago and people tell me I need to move on. How are you going to move on from the death of your mother? Yeah. It's your mother. You never move on. If you yeah. move on from the death of your mother, you're a sociopath. <laughs> like, you know, like what you do is you learn to live with it. And you also, if you're lucky, learn from it and grow from it. Yeah. But you don't move on from it. That's crazy. Yeah. Everything is indeed uh, a learning opportunity. And, you know, like you have had a near death experience. And for me, it was a car accident. It was in 2012. And I remember at the moment where I thought I was going to flip over this bridge <laughs> and you know, yeah. you're 22 at the time and you're thinking I haven't done everything I said I was going to do. And then adrenaline is kicking in and you're somehow managed able to push through and you survive. I remember thinking to myself um, when I was writing one of my poems, this line stuck out to me. It just came out of me. It was like, my trauma didn't define me. It informed me because it was after that, that I moved to New York city and I decided to do the brave thing and pursue jobs despite being a non-immigrant while waiting for a green card and just be willing to deal with the fact that I might not get a job and I might have to go back to my, you know, my home country of Nigeria, as opposed to the reality of staying in a place that I hated the job and I hated the environment just so I could be under a visa that held me down from my potential. That was an accident that opened that up, though. What 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 did your accident open up within you? 
I mean, I had a car accident also. Somebody was texting and driving and they hit me in the head with their car. <laughs> so I understand I was on my bike. So mm-hmm. I, I really, I, I understand that. It, it changes you. Um, I, you know, it's funny when I, when the car was coming toward my head, people often say, you know, your life flashes before me. you. I don't, that didn't happen to me. I think it's because I was thinking, you know, I've had so much stuff happen to me. I'm not going to let this lady texting bring me down. Like this is not going to be the thing. Um, but I, I did think more than I've thought in like a year in less than a second. So many thoughts just went through my head. And um, one of the things I thought was, I'm so glad that I have a rule with my youngest son that I say, I love you. We say I love you to each other every time we leave the house. So just in case something happens to us. And then I thought, I wish I had that with everyone I love. And then the, the car hit me and I now will never leave any conversation with someone I love without saying, I love you. You know, I, I treasure my life in a way that's very different, but I also, um, really it affected me also because I, my communication was compromised. I had to rebuild it and the process of rebuilding it really cracked open a way of looking at the world that was with a level of specificity that I thought I had because I'd gone to school for political science. So I was really into the socio-political and demographics and how does that impact you? And I was also an acting teacher, ran my own acting studio for 20 years. I was into the minutia of human behavior. I loved the intersection of those two things, but I've really realized a lot of the way I saw people was intuitive and I had to learn to be more mindful and thoughtful about it. And it, it changed everything for me. Yeah. I mean, you became a best-selling author and, 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 and I'm assuming the word started to come to you, you know, after that, then you came up with your programs, which you are now empowering other women to do so. I would love for you to talk about, you know, the aftermath of that. Yeah. Well, I read, you know, I wrote the book. Um, and the reason I wrote the book partly was because I was giving a lot of talks on communication And after I would give the talks, I would hear this click, 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 click behind me. (laughs) And I'd say, oh, here it comes. And I go to the bathroom because I got to pee after going because I usually do like hour and a half Q&As because they go on forever and I can never bear to cut them off. So then I go to the bathroom and I go and I wash my hands and somebody sidles up next to me and says, I got to ask you that question I didn't want to ask in Q&A. And I'm like, okay. And the next thing I know, we're having a workshop after the workshop in the bathroom. And I almost named the book Conversations in the Bathroom. But <laughs> what I found was like, whether I was in Hong Kong or Texas or New York, it didn't matter. The same questions were being asked over and over again. It was probably about 45 questions. Every one of those questions fit into the five buckets of claiming space. And I thought, you know, these are being asked in the bathroom because we're afraid to talk about this stuff. And we need to take these conversations out of the darkness and into the sunlight. And that was really what motivated me to do it. Hence the term claiming space. Hence the term claiming space. Exactly. We're going to be put in the, again, all these things are going to be in the show notes. And if you definitely want to work with Eliza, she's, you know, she's got a lot of these things in her website. I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's been one of the best things is the speaking, I got to say, because the people I meet, the conversations I have all over the world, it's been such a gift. I love, I feel so lucky I get to do this work. I feel so lucky. I mean, you're a gift to the world. Like, so I, I understand that you feel like a gift, but I, you identify with the Gen Z in a way that I don't see a lot of people do, right? I There's a, 
deep spirit. So I'm a millennial and I, I work with, I'm like in between, right? I remember when they said the same things about us, about me in particular. <laughs> but with Gen Z, if people say different things as well, and it's even millennials saying it. And I'm like, weren't you, we used to say the same thing. But there's something that I know that you are, you know, championing. And I know, you know, it's the lazy girl jobs. This viral term that refers to, you know, well-paying, flexible jobs that allow for leisure time. What exactly is a la lazy girl job lifestyle? How can we advocate for a culture that actually accepts that? Because when I grew up, it was go to school, do this, work 25, 50, 40, whatever hours, make sure you get that job, 401k. Uh, right. So, right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the first thing I want to say, just to like really put it out there, is that you have to have privilege to have a la lazy girl job. You have to have gone to college. Mm -hmm. um, very hard to do a lazy girl job if you don't have a college education. So it is obviously, but I think in some ways, these young women who have gone to college are the canary in the coal mine. If they're so unhappy, think about what everybody else is dealing with. Um, it, it's really a job you can do remotely. Um, it's great for young mothers who want to stay home. Um, and it's a job where you can set more clear boundaries about, you know, I'm not going to work overtime. I'm just doing this job. That's all that I'm doing. And it's a job that really you're basically foregoing a slightly higher salary for a life where you're kind of guarding your peace mm -hmm. and your happiness a little bit more. And I, I don't think it's lazy. I think a lot of these young women have watched their mothers kill themselves yes. trying to get the same pay for, you know, the same equal pay for equal work. And it's still not happening. It's not even close, particularly for women of color, of course. And so they're working really hard and they're not getting there. And their daughters are like, I'm not doing this. Exactly. Why should I participate in a system that isn't for me and doesn't work, is not created for me, doesn't care about me? I'm going to do my own thing. And I, I do want to mention. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. That, you know, there is a parallel to the lazy girl job. It's just better paid. And that is the, you know, four martini lunch. You know, we forever have had very wealthy white men go to work, leave work and network for hours at country clubs, drinking martinis. And nobody said they were lazy, lazy girl jobs. These women are working and people are saying they're lazy. So the double standard is not lost on me. <laughs> It's not. It's, not, it's real. Well, I, I I love the fact that you acknowledge the privilege initially because if we're going to continue talking about this generation and the generation after, what it's Alpha, I think Zeta Alpha, I think, and so 
you believe and you and I've seen this as well that they feel like the traditional American dream is out of their reach. What, what yeah. do you think has played into that? Well, I mean, first of all, climate change. They well, a lot of them, if you poll them, they don't they wonder if they're gonna have a future on this earth, actually. That's right. You yeah. know, um, my daughter spends is in an organization called Planet Over Profit Pop. She actually started over a year ago under a year ago and it's the biggest um not direct action climate change group on tiktok and she's not i mean she's not at all lazy she's got a quote lazy girl job but she spends all her time on this organization so i think in because she really feels really scared about the future so mm. i think that's one thing um the second thing is i think that i mean i think there are the housing prices are outrageous. The economy is in trouble. And, you know, people just can't afford to buy a house anymore. If you look at what has changed in housing prices, it's absolutely absurd. And, and buying a house and owning a house is the number one way Americans have historically built wealth. Mm -hmm. And then also, the it's so disparate, obviously, in these companies. I mean, we used to have a much smaller gap between the lowest guy on the totem pole financially and the CEO. Now it's no comparison. So so the gap between rich and poor is just outrageous. And so I think people are looking at all of this and just feeling demoralized. And they should. It's not, we are not in a situation right now that is setting young people up for success. And they have a reason to be extremely pissed off and they are. Yeah. It's a, we have a situation where the wealth gap is increasing. Um yeah, the the financial situations are sort of rewarding the richer and not really helping middle class. And it's making, you know, the lower class even feel like they're the lower class and things are going, you know, at, at a price rate that is hard to maintain. And so some people go back home so they can yeah. cost where in previous generations, this is probably the time you bought the house, which was a statement. Totally. Right. Absolutely. Uh, right. I mean, I think my ex-husband and I bought our house in our in our twenties for sure. In your twenties, like, look at you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he he was a <laughs> okay. He was a physician, but I I will say, I mean, that's a whole nother story about privilege yeah. because he came from a, a family didn't have a lot of money, and um, he didn't have great credit, and you know, we got help in a way that I know we would not have if we had not had the level of privilege we had. I mean, the system yeah. is really rigged and it's just simply not fair. Yeah. You know, I do want to say though, however, that I think a lot of these young people, while they're disillusioned, they're also full of optimism. And what I mean by that is there's a hope to their fury. Yes. There's, you know what I mean? Like if you refuse, if you're angry about how things are and you are working and protesting to try to make it better, that is a radical act of optimism. You know, I actually asked my daughter, Ella, why are you trying so hard? If you think it's all going to fall apart, why are you trying so hard to make the world better? And oh my God, it makes me cry. She said, because if even one person believes that things can get better, I owe it to them to try. Eliza, that that's what it's all about. I mean, so I, <laughs> I describe myself as an angry optimist. Like I think I got it from John Stewart, and I heard it from Hasan Minaj before as well. But that's the spirit, right? You're fighting for something because you love the thing that you want to fight for. You're fighting for rights because you want everyone to get to experience what it's like to be free in themselves. You're fighting for the planet because you want to live, right? <laughs> you're, you're fighting for all these things, you and you're fighting for women, I've heard you say this, like, because we can't have a world at its highest potential if women are being stifled 
repeatedly everywhere yeah. when you know, it, it varies in the degrees depending on your gender your ethnicity your gender identity and if we keep acting like the status quo works we're not only going to burn out we're going to burn out the rest of, of our yeah. neighbors as well absolutely i so funny you call yourself that because i call myself an oppositional optimist oppositional <laughs> optimist i like the wait 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 wait. i want to understand this but i think i, I think i know what you mean but i want to make sure <laughs> the oppositional optimist what what, what is it how would you define that? How would you break that down? Um, well, I think the idea of optimism is like, everything's going to be fine. And I don't think that that's necessarily the way I see things. Um, I see things as like, everything is maybe going to be fine and maybe not, but I'm going to oppositionally interrupt the injustice right. whenever I can. I am not going to go with the flow. I'm that's going to oppose and interrupt the flow because the flow is is favoring the status quo. I love that. Yeah, I, I, I just retook, I uh, reclaimed that angry word because I was like, I deserve to be angry, but doesn't mean I, I've lost hope with the world. But I'm angry. I'm angry to we put in this position, and I'm angry that this is happening. But you know, it's about how you in therapy you always learn this is how you use your emotions. It's not necessarily the emotions itself. You're not essentially your emotions. But I also yeah. think with both of the way we're defining things, it's about claiming. Your, your your power in yourself where you recognize the power of something that someone has defined for you you're like you're going to interrupt the status quo like what you said and you're like yeah i'm going to use the anger yes you always say angry black man but i'm not going to say i'm not angry but it doesn't mean what you mean <laughs> right totally and the yeah. truth is like you know i was um in my book, I talk about this. I quote, I quote a bunch of scholars and like, there's this one thing that I think happens a lot where people are like, well, you know, it's hard to talk about sexism or racism because it's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Well, of course it's uncomfortable. It's oppressive. Mm -hmm. Oppression is uncomfortable. And mm -hmm. you know, it's not uncomfortable keeping things as they are. So if you want things to stay comfortable, you're basically saying you want things to stay the same because change is uncomfortable. Yes. Yes. And it always has been one of your... Your, your your heroes who's uh gone now but she's an angel and an ancestor is uh, Maya Angelou um her life <laughs> has played a big role in your advocacy well what did you learn from her the most and what do you continue to admire from her I can't talk about Maya Angelou without crying um she I mean I read all her books when I was little I read every one of her when I was little I was in junior high I was in middle school and I had her book of poetry, Give Me a Cool Drink of Water Before I Die, which was like my Bible. I read that book. I mean, it, it is worn and marked. And from when I was a kid, you know, there was her story. I related to it. It's, you know, obviously there are some dramatic differences between our story, but I, I did feel her on such a profound level. I actually was 10 feet away from her in college. This is one of my biggest regrets because I was still really not in my center and didn't know, didn't really, I felt like she was a goddess. I still mm -hmm. kind of feel that way. And I was the head of my women's organization. So I got to go backstage after she had given a talk and wow. I wanted to go up to her so badly, but I just felt like, what do you say to a goddess? <laughs> <laughs> you know, what do you say? But I, I saw her interact with someone. It was one of the most beautiful interactions I've ever seen. You know, she's so tall. She's like this regal presence. She is and this, yeah. Just, yeah. And this very young, um, this was in the 90s, this very young woman came up to her, this little tiny yeah, um, blonde college student. It, it was at CU Boulder. So like basically everyone was blonde. And she walked up to my Angelou and she couldn't speak. She was like, I, um, I just, I, I just want you. 
And my Angelou bends down over her and she says, kiss me right here and taps her cheek. And the woman looks at a little, you know, young college and gets up and kisses her cheek. And my Angelou says, thank you. And she, the girl just was like, ah, and walks wow. away. And you could tell she was just like, for the rest of my life, like I'm touched by greatness. It was such a, it's hard to explain the beauty of the moment. The young woman could not speak, couldn't say anything. And my Angelou just intuitively knew she just needed connection and she just wanted to hug her, you know? And she, she said, give me a kiss on my cheek. It was really beautiful. Was she's it. an amazing human being. I mean, I, I just, I think she's probably one of our, um, I, I'm not a big religious person, but if you can imagine that like we do get messages from some sort of higher power, whatever, mm. I, I feel like something was coming through her that was beyond her because what she says is so powerful. I'm with you on that. I, I She was just, she had, like you said, such a regal quality about her, but, uh, you know, even the cadence, you know, the way she talked and whenever she was even delivering messages of trauma, of joy, it was just you know, a musicality to, uh, to her approach. And um, yeah. Uh, she informed I, I, my writing like crazy. Um, can I tell you the story about what yes! I <laughs> Oh, This is my favorite Maya Angelou story, actually. So she's being interviewed about doing the poem for Clinton's inauguration. Mm. And she, the, the, in, the reporter says, so what did you think about the poem and, that you wrote? And she says, well, I didn't have a lot of time. So it was good. It wasn't great, but it was good. If I'd had more time, it would have been great. And then the guy says, well, what's your writing process? And she says, well, I go into a hotel and I write on a pad of paper with a pencil. I write and I write and I write. And she says, and most of it is not that good. And some of it is good. And that's what I use. And it just freed me as a writer. Yeah. Because I was like, I don't need to make this all good. I can write a lot of trash <laughs> and then I can pull out the stuff that's good. And it's not, doesn't mean I'm not a good writer. If Maya Angelou can say most of it's not that good, then I'm going to be okay. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And I, I imagine this is the things you teach people in your program right now. You, you yeah. I mean, I, I, when I do my speaking and I do my workshops, I really, most of what I do is bite size little pieces of actionable tools you can use to transform the way that you communicate mm -hmm. and the way you claim your power. And, and it's um, actionable, small, digestible things, because I, I think a lot of people try to give these huge, I mean, I talk about my life and my story, but they give all this inspiration and then they don't give really anything concrete. Well, what do you do? How do you fix it? And we don't talk about that enough. And for me, that's the key is you can't just tell people to change their life. You have to give them how. Yeah. Give them how. Well, how can people find you? Um, they can find me by going to elizavancourt.com. There is no you in court. <laughs> E-L-I-Z-A-V-A-N-C-O-R-T. They can find me on all the social media under Eliza Van Court. And you can also find my book, uh, Women's Guide to Claiming Space. Basically, I always feel like a you know telemarketer or something when I say this, but anywhere books are sold. You can anywhere books are sold. Trust me, you have to do it. I, I have to do that for my book as well. You have to say <laughs> anywhere books are sold. Um, books are sold. <laughs> but I'll make sure that I put that in the show notes. I I, I wanted to ask you, uh, we're getting close to my final question here, but before I ask my final question, I'm very curious about what you've learned about yourself 
with the success of your project. You were on the Drew Barrymore show. Um, you've seen a lot of people see you possibly uh, the way you see your heroes. And you that I imagine that puts you at a privileged position of influence. What have you learned about yourself throughout this success? Such an interesting question. And no one's ever asked me that. That's what I like to do. <laughs> I love that question. Um, I guess, I think, I guess I've learned that I, I don't give up easily <laughs> mm-hmm. because it's a hard process. And when you say you're going to write a book, everyone says, well, nobody can write a book. And then when you say it's going to be a bestseller, everyone says nobody's going to be, it's got, not going to be a bestseller. When you say you're going to make a speaking career, everybody says you're nuts. And particularly with me, because I started late. So everyone's like, well, you're a little old to switch careers. You know? <laughs> like, so there was just a lot of that. And I just was like, you can't define for me what I'm going to do. I can work hard and I can do it. And, um, you know, I just... I'm a big believer that falling down is not the problem. It's the problem is not getting back up again. And I got knocked down a lot and I kept getting up and I'm, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of your resilience as well. That's incredible. I love that. That's amazing. I I, I wanted you to just say it so you hear yourself because I, I think I'm, you probably hear a lot how amazing you are, but I think it's important for you to say it with your words. So, you know, looks like. Well, I, I appreciate that. I do want to say, however, that I would not be here without the help of a lot of people I really think that um, my life isn't about really what one person can do. It's about how you can save the life of one person. And I had a lot of people who refused to let me fall after all the things that happened to me. And there's no one out there that can't be helped. And I, I do want to stress that. It's not like I have some magic formula. I'm also incredibly supported. And that's that's the difference. You have a village, it sounds yes. like. Yeah. Yes. Well, Eliza, my final question is my mission statement reframed as a question. And my mission statement is use your difference to make a difference. So I feel like we've answered this a little bit, but how do you, Eliza, use your difference to make a difference? I hope I inspire women to believe they have the right to claim space. I think if you, you know, I have all these tools in my book, but they're useless if you don't think you have the right to use them. And a lot of women get the message. They have to be small. Every human being has the right to claim space and you need to believe you have that right. And if you do, everything else is just learning. Wow. Eliza Van Court, people. <laughs> Thank you so much. Everything that is connected to her works will be put in the show notes. Uh, as you can see, she's very energetic, very, very um, <laughs> excited about dismantling all the systems of oppression and suppression that we have. And um, also an optimist, but not in the traditional sense, as you, as you found out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, seriously, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us here on our Stole by Minds. It's been fun. Thank you for what you're doing. This was a blast. Thank you. I love hearing that. Uh, Kings, queens, and royalty. Until next time, use a difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And... 
don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.